week's installment in the series of podcasts where we discuss the issues and news that are relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. This is episode 30. Today our topic is drone journalism. Um, let's see, I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and let's say hello to our special guest host, Marcus Min. Marcus? Hello, Patrick. Thank you very much for this honor, and thank you, Gene, for not being around. I appreciate that. Well, Gene's out actually flying uh, some aircraft. He's out in the field as we speak. Uh, he may check in. Again, it's a it's a comms deal. They're trying to set up a satellite, and so they'll call in, and we may have – hopefully their satellite will be better than my satellite was at White Sands. So maybe we'll have him come in. Uh, we had Marcus on uh, last week, but you had some problems of uh, transportation issues, but you're on this time. Um, we're going to talk about this week, we're going to talk about the uh, dronejournalism.org, their Twitter drone chat uh, with uh, Matthew Scheller, and uh, that ought to be interesting. But I wanted to talk, before we get into that, I wanted to talk about a couple of the, uh, the things that that you're doing, and uh, I want to talk about uh, the Technology Training Corporation's Next Generation ISR Conference in D.C., and I know you were at a show this week, but be before we get into that, uh, Marcus, you've been on the show a couple of times. Could you please give the listeners a short bio of who you are and what you do? Uh, basically, I work for Technology Training Corporation. We do um, symposiums and summits, uh, conferences on the uh, unmanned aircraft systems, cybersecurity, uh, ISR, full motion video, uh, big data for government and military, federal government, uh, infrastructure protection, things like that. We try to help uh, educate industry as well as give opportunities for industry to come up with solutions for uh, military, defense, and federal government on those key issues that they have pertaining to whichever specific topic that they're uh, looking into. I've been doing that for about four years, business development and marketing, do a lot of research on hot topics, who's who, what's what, and then trying to get uh, speakers and vendors to come check it out. That's right. what I do. Um, well, I do, uh, I mean, it's kind of funny that we're talking about uh, symposium season 2013, but it, it will be here before you know it. And the TTC shows are uh, that uh, one of the shows uh, that I try to make every year. Is, is your show. It's good. It's top top tier folks. Um, you know, next week is the next generation ISR conference in DC. And, and maybe you could give us a, a high altitude overview of what that conference is going to be about. Well, that conference is uh, basically going to cover um, what's going on in the ISR and slash FMV world. Um, there's a lot of different things out there. You know, the, the more increasing roles for ISR assets are necessary across, you know, a broad range of needed missions out there. You know, not just persistent global surveillance, global strike, counterintelligence, counterterrorism. But you got to remember that, you know, now with China, North Korea, there's the maritime domain awareness, the air sea or anti-access air denial out there. And then, you know, we have to even go broader into the sense of space defense. <laughs> so this is what it's basically covering. You know, and, and it's going to answer questions like, what are the latest OSD and service strategy roadmaps and new initiatives? Uh, what roles will DCGS and, and other major initiatives play? What's the new cutting technology from ISR technologies, including mm -hmm. SMV? Um, where and how do space, air, ground, sea, and cyberspace 
because now it's C5 ISR. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that work? I mean, that, that's basically what it's going to be about. And we have, we're fortunate to have some great speakers. Our opening keynote is uh, Robert Bo Marlin, Deputy Director of ISR Capabilities for the headquarters uh, for the United States Air Force. And he's going to be addressing Air Force ISR needs and initiatives. Um, another great person that we'll have is Mr. Michael Said, Assistant Deputy for Test and Evaluation uh, for Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Terry Mitchell, Director for Department of Army Intelligence, Intelligence Futures Directorate, and Keith Barber, Senior Advisor for Agile Acquisition Initiative Office for the NGA. I mean, those are the first four speakers of the morning. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think I'm going to have to hit that one next year because that's that's exactly where I'm I'm at. You know, I'm at the uh, I'm I'm definitely the C5 ISR level uh, space. The um, capabilities now for ISR and the different sensors that are out there and the software packages and whatever else are, um, it, it's, it's really starting to get pretty amazing. And uh, if you're right out there on the cutting edge, lots is going on. I'm personally getting more into the space thing and I'm pretty excited about that. <clears throat> so that's pretty good. Again, you know, that, that's one thing I was kind of saying about the TTC shows, uh, top tier folks. Uh, and obviously, the the people that you have on the roster are top tier folks. Do you have goods or services that you want to, uh, let's say, have showcased, or have people that really are in decision making capabilities uh, see and talk about those shows are, are the place to go. Um, so that, that's my endorsement of those shows. But uh, I know I know you came back from another one, or you were at one this week. What was that one? That was the uh, counter anti-access. Aerial Denier or A2D2. Some of us at the office refer to it as R2D2 because it's just a tongue twister of an acronym. Right. Um, and one of the biggest arguments that came out of there, and I, 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 during the prep I was asking you, is that we had a debate between whether manned aircraft should be controlling the airspace or unmanned aircraft should be controlling the airspace. Mm. Anti access air denial. Well, I think, you know, that battle is going to be fought. In the future, and uh, you know, I mean, that's coming. But I, I still, I'm kind of of the the school that the uh, unmanned is the future of aviation. And as we were talking before the show, we've had guests on the show. One of them was uh, Ted Lersbanowski, who uh, was an uh, X-29 pilot. He he he's he's kind of thrown it out there that there are people out there that believe that the last generation of fighter pilots has been born, and. Uh, the capabilities, I think when the unmanned thing really blows open and you have uh, more competition, uh, even international competition, which you're going to see. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have seen some of the stuff that come on uh, from the Chinese. It's looking pretty high tech. I think it's only going to be a matter of time where you have uh, different countries have uh, unmanned aircraft flying around in international airspace all the time. And that, you know, another thing is that that might come back to minus too with the uh, weaponized platforms. You know, I, I think that the, the days of, of being able to just fly around and, and whack people in other people's countries come into a close, personally. I, I agree. And, you know, just, you know, uh, not to go on a different tangent here, but for, as you were talking about 2013, one of the biggest things that we have is the Unmanned Aircraft Systems West Symposium. Mm-hmm. That's one of the big discussions out there is what does, what do the not what do the international countries have available? What are their payloads? What are their sensors? What are their 
weaponized unmanned aircraft systems have. Um, and I know, I, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but if we have people like uh, Major General Michael Nagata from the U.S. Army, Deputy Director for Special Operations, pretty sure he's going to address something about that. Mm. Well, I, I think the capabilities are there. I think that, uh, you know, as far as the U.S. perception of what's coming, I mean, the, the pictures that I've seen of aircraft in uh, China uh, are getting, I mean, they're they're knocking off our, our, you know, global hawks and things like that. But I think that you're going to see uh, them come on stronger. Uh, you know, we gave the gift to the Iranians, the RQ-170, and I'm sure that that is, uh, I'm sure everybody's eyeballing that. The Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, everybody, you know, it's probably like a, uh, a round table of the, um, let's say, the people that aren't really our, our friends or have the potential not to be our friends. Yeah. So I think well, we'll, we'll see uh, that coming on in the, in the not-too-distant future. Well, while I was in D.C., there was the, already the argument came up of which drone got shot down over Iran. Which country? Oh, really? Was it U.S.? Was it Israel? Whose drone came down? Oh, you mean the Scan Eagle? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's people that's uh, actually kind of prolific. And I think that one thing, too, is we lose more of these aircraft and, you know, they get something intact and they can kind of see, oh, okay, uh, here's what it does. This is the configuration. You know, we can make this. It's not that complicated. And the only things that really are kind of complicated uh, are the autopilots and the code. But even that, I mean, uh, look, what's, look what's coming on in the... Uh, in the hobby world, uh, what you can buy in the hobby world, you can buy autopilots that'll hit waypoints with uh, on-screen display. Uh, you know, they can you can fly them far away for or, uh, doing an FPV, which is first-person video. I mean, the, the capabilities that are out there for a couple of hundred dollars are, are uh, I think, they're good enough to do the job, especially in let's say the the Middle East and whatnot. Hamas and uh, the, the other people that Iran supply. So I think we'll be seeing more and more of that. I think the days of uh, the United States um, kind of, you know, dominating the skies with unmanned aircrafts coming to a close. But that's another show. If I may ask you, do you believe that all this new cross-platform across the boards will have some kind of interference with each other? What do you mean as far as uh, frequencies or... Yeah. Uh, they could. I mean, you know, there's uh, they're trying to work all of that out. But uh, you know, that's that's some of the the things that I also work on 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 my night job. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to go into that too much either right now. But I'm looking forward to UAS West. Um, I, I spoke at it last year, and hopefully, I'll be at it this year. And uh, I mean, just real fast, some of the people that will be there, um, Colonel. Phil Stewart, like I said before, I'm sorry, Major General Michael Nagata, U.S. Army Deputy Director for Special Operations. We have Colonel Phil Stewart, United States Air Force Commander, 9th Reconnaissance Wing at a Beale Air Force Base. Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Becker, U.S. Army Commander, 2nd Battalion, 82nd Aviation Regiment. Commander Al Antran, uh, United States Coast Guard Air Domain, you know, for the Coast Guard. Um, and then, you know, we have Mr. Paul Schaefer, Airborne Sense and Avoid Lead for the United States Air Force. We have the program manager for NASA. You mentioned space. Chuck Johnson is going to be there. Um, and then we have the president and CEO of Institute, uh, Steve Morrow, is going to be mm. there. We mm. have the great Patrick Egan going to be there. Hey, that guy's good. 
and, and well, there's many more, and, and that's one of the best things we're going to have, and that is going to be in San Diego on March 12th through the 14th, so mark the calendars. It's going to be in San Diego, March 12th through the 14th, and if you want more information on that, uh, just go to www.ttcus.com, or you can call me personally, 310-320-8128, and I'd love to give you more information on that. All right, well, that sounds good. Uh, go check the website out. These guys, I get on the mailing list. I get uh, I get you guys mailers all the time, although I think I might have fallen off the list because I don't get them as regularly as I used to. Uh, and this, and this uh, Next Generation ISR show, I think, is something that I would have probably been interested in. I think next year I may uh, want to check that out because I'm all over that C5 ISR thing. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. All right, well, I want to move into the, the next segment where we got a 45-minute show today. And uh, as always, um, when we're down at the two-minute warning, it, it's kind of like, man, I can't believe we, you know, we're here already. So I want to kind of move forward, um, and I'm going to bring on our guest. Uh, he's also a susnews.com contributor contributor. He just wrote a story, Matthew Schroyer. He wrote a piece recently about um, a, a, a drone shoot down, and I guess that was an animal uh, or some hunting thing or whatever. But we're going to bring Matthew on. Matthew, could you please give the listeners the 411 on uh, what you've been up to and how you got here? Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me on, Patrick. Um, I am a, uh, a journalist and, as you said, a sometimes contributor of susnews.com. Um, I'm also the uh, founder of a uh, website and an organization called uh, DroneJournalism.org that's trying to bring together uh, unmanned systems and journalists to uh, aid in reporting and investigative reporting. I kind of come from a uh, a mixed background in, in terms of where journalists typically come from. I, I started out as an undergraduate studying mechanical engineering and uh, have kind of a mechanical and, and uh, computer background, but uh, somehow ended up with a bachelor's in journalism and, and worked in newspapers and uh, as a freelance writer for some uh, news weeklies and uh, some websites. And um, now I'm here at the University of Illinois. Uh, I work at a grant that's trying to improve uh, science education, STEM education, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And uh, we also bring un uh, unmanned systems into classrooms and try to uh, – get students to learn something about engineering and, and uh, aeronautics and, and all this stuff. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it is kind of non-traditional, but it's also been uh, very fun and, and very rewarding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, and that uh, STEM thing that you're talking about, we're all about that here, too, although I don't know if you've uh, heard me espouse this, but uh, I like to call it STEAM and uh, throw the A in there for arts. And I believe that the left brain people can really add a lot to this as far as design and applications. And to give credit where credit's due, we got that from, um, oh God, I can't remember his name, but it was the Boca Bearings guy. I think his name was Josh. And I, and I do uh, I, I do go out there and talk about adding the art to that. I think it's a good thing. That's all really interesting, Matthew. Um you know, I think uh, we've we've talked a little offline about this, and uh, I agree with a lot of the things that you say. And uh, we'll march right on through here because I want to get into the drone chat and all the rest of that. Sure. But let's 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 talk about like in your view, and I know you kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, what is what is drone journalism in uh, the way that you view it? Right. Well, um, I, I kind of view it in in two different ways. It, it all is 
revolves around journalists using unmanned systems. But uh, there's kind of uh, two different tiers in looking at this. And one is, is a very simple approach, which is uh, using the unmanned systems as a, uh, a platform for aerial photography and, and video. Um, and that can bring a new perspective to uh, to news stories. It, and, and we're looking really, honestly, as drone journalists for a replacement for the news helicopter, something that's it's cheap and that can be transported in a backpack and something that's even at the reach of uh, uh, freelancers and independent journalists and, and uh, people like that. But um, another more more complicated, more technical um, application for these unmanned systems, as you know, is uh, mapping, um, aerial mapping and also uh, collecting sensor data of an area. Um, so you can imagine a journalist trying to detect changes in a landscape over time to, to understand kind of the scope of a, of a natural or maybe a man-made disaster such as an oil spill, um, you know, fire, these kinds of things that can actually uh, really enhance an investigation or move it along. We're not really looking for a replacement for a reporter. I mean, there's a lot of interviewing that has to go on in the background, but as far as approaching um, an investigation, these these systems are can be very useful for a journalist, we think. Well, yeah, and I would agree with that. That uh, story that we ran at the SUAS News uh, about the meatpacking plant where they were dumping the blood into the river, I mean, that that story went worldwide, and one of the kickers on that is that it was uh, that photography was provided by a small unmanned aircraft, and and not one of these fifty thousand dollar deals too. It was you know something that uh, somebody had put together themselves, or you know it was a low cost, and so it kind of it really reinforces what you're saying. I mean that made the story. If you wrote a story, oh you know they're dumping blood into the river, yada yada. Oh okay, yeah, it sounds great. You go back there the next day, it's gone. You know, what's what's that old, um, you know, I don't think it was really Confucius said that a picture's worth a thousand words, but some wise guy said that. And uh, I, I think that that kind of bolsters what you just said right there. Yeah, and I, I think that um, I, it, that's actually a textbook example of how we want uh, this this new field to work with, with unmanned systems. I mean, it's interesting because it seems as if this has been a problem that had, had been going on for a while at that meatpacking plant. Um, mm -hmm. People living around that river complained of the stench of whatever was happening in that direction and it but it really wasn't uncovered or discovered until someone was just you know a hobbyist was just taking the photos um and and he called the coast guard and that launched an investigation last thing i heard was that the meatpacking plant was closed down by some kind of city ordinance or it's in city council but uh it made big waves and i think that journalists can learn a lot by by uh by that example well, and you hit on another good point, and, and, and you know we we discussed this offline too. But the uh, you know where journalism is going, you know, um, and and people have to realize that journalism has kind of changed a little bit. But it would be the same thing if I was a freelancer and I was doing that meatpacking plant story, and I said, well, you know, I'm going to try and get some aerial photography, and I want to catch them doing this or whatever, the cost of doing that, um, setting up with the pilot and the company that owns the airplane to, to get a time when we could fly out there and take the pictures. It's still relevant. Is it going to be happening? Am I going to gamble all that money and, and uh, you know, the resources and time to do all that? Uh, you know, if you look at that, you go, no, I probably wouldn't do that. Now, if I had the small unmanned aircraft, that was, you know, uh, $1,500 or $2,000, and I had that in my, my uh, photojournalism toolbox, 
yes, I would go out there and take that picture, and what it would be is the result that you saw in that article. And then, you know, what's the downstream result of that? You know, I kind of believe that the, the journalist is really on the side of the public. You know, do you agree with that, Matthew? Yeah, yeah. I, they should be um, – I mean, all this is about is about data collection ultimately. And um, there's been a lot of criticism, understandably, for, about the news media lately, not, not concentrating on the facts but concentrating on pundits and spin in this sort of um, issue. And, and as you know, newspapers and the media in general – financially have been uh, in, in, in hot water for, for a while. Um, so something like this, the whole drone journalism field, hopefully would bring some, some credibility back to the field, bring some data, bring some hard evidence, as opposed to relying on um, sources who have their own motives, for instance. Exactly. I think it adds a, a, a level of independence to the, uh, to the field. Um, I, I definitely, you know, like I was saying, with the downstream thing, you know, you're helping out this community uh, with a low-cost technology, and I, I think that uh, can go into other fields, too. Um, you know, I want to talk about, now, you did, you, you alluded to the uh, dronejournalism.org, and uh, I think we talked about this when you were first forming, and I think it's a good idea. Uh, I think professional guilds and what whatnot for um, different fields are a good thing, and especially here with this technology. So maybe you could kind of uh, elucidate on uh, what dronejournalism.org is. Sure. Well, it was actually formed um, one year ago today. So today is actually the one-year anniversary for uh, dronejournalism.org, and um, I I set up the website in hopes of of starting just just as you said a, a professional organization to um, hopefully bring some credibility to this. So we would, you know, help educate journalists. We have examples of unmanned systems on there. A lot of uh, DJI systems, um, our journalists like to use those. And uh, also we do um, some, some, of, some of that hobby stuff that you're talking about um, mm -hmm. because that can be really, it, it can be a nice entry level. Um, you don't even need to learn programming to be able to work these systems anymore. So we, part of it's educational, establishing a, a technological framework, but part of it's also um, the ethics because, understandably, there's privacy concerns about about uh, unmanned systems invading people's privacy. And of course, the um, the low opinion rating of, of journalists right now with um, the uh, News Corporation hacking scandal and um, Kate Middleton photos and and all this horrible stuff. I mean, combining something that might already have a, a low public opinion with you know with journalism at this point can could be troublesome so we try to bring some some ethics into it so we have on our website uh a a kind of uh, a template or a rough draft of, of a code of ethics um that we hope journalists will follow but it's also um a wiki in that if if um, you're a journalist and you're interested in pursuing this field and you come on board you can have a say in in shaping this this code of ethics but uh, right. all that's all that's on the website and um, it's it's grown in, in the past year, but I, I have to tell you, uh, most of the development in this stuff is, is not really coming from journalists, although there have been some developments in uh, Nebraska's Drone Journalism Lab uh, got a $50,000 grant to uh, pursue drone journalism, and a uh, University of Missouri-Columbia recently announced that uh, there are some journalists there who are starting sort of a, a program between engineers and computer scientists and uh, journalists to do the same thing. But most of the work is being done by um, by activists, by hacktivists, people who have 
Um, uh, a political goal and also have a technical ability to produce unmanned systems. I think the most recent is com example comes out of uh, Argentina, where the government actually shut down the airspace um, ahead of a protest on the 8th of November. It was called the 8M protest. Mm -hmm. But um, some some enterprising activists uh, cobbled together a quadcopter and were able to take some aerial, aerial photos that helped illustrate the, the kind of um, – scope of the unrest there. Um, so again, I think it's, um, it's a matter of journalists learning from these examples, and uh, I, I post a lot of uh, a lot of these things on the website that, that hopefully journalists can draw inspiration from for their own. For their own I like I like that, and I like the idea that you know that I, that was the same reason we started the RCAP, the Remote Control Aerial Photography Association. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of a professional guild, uh, best practices, code of ethics, you know, some, some place you could come to and say, oh, well, these guys have done it before. We could kind of glean something from what they've done. And we're not out here uh, doing the old Yahoo thing. The other thing we were we wanted is uh, to be able to get uh, private liability insurance, which we were able to secure, yada, yada, yada. I've gone on about that ad nauseum, but I, I understand where you're going with that, and I like it. One other thing I want to touch on Last week, we talked about the TMZ drone, and, uh, you know, it was kind of funny. They were like, oh, you know, like we would do something like that, you know, which I thought was kind of a, a joke because they'll do anything, They, you know. And then the other thing, you know, talking about the ethics of these, these photographs, I mean, you know, on one hand, people are down on the media. Oh, you know, how could they take these naked pictures of Kate Middleton and yada, 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 or how could they get these pictures of somebody's uh, – wedding, you know, or Red and Angelina Jolie, you know, this photo will be worth millions of dollars. So, you know what? Uh, maybe the media, why, you know, is the media really the bad guy? Or maybe you shouldn't consume, because obviously these photos are worth millions of dollars. Somebody's consuming it. Somebody's buying the People magazines, the Us magazines, the National Enquirer, yada, yada, you know, ad nauseum, wherever these outlets are, people are right. going there. And people are checking it out. So, I mean, you know, if you're really that upset about it, maybe you should uh, boycott those types of photos. You know, I've taken it, I guess, a step back for people to kind of uh, maybe, you know, put their money where their mouth is with their outrage. But that's that's, that's some just, uh, you know, insight from my me personally. Okay, well, the next I want to talk about now, I know, you know, you talked about the year anniversary of drone journalism. And uh, last year you guys had a tweet chat. And uh, you're going to have another one, an anniversary, a one-year anniversary cheat, uh, tweet, chat. <laughs> Took a it's hard to say, isn't it? It's a little bit of a tongue twister. It is. The whole, the whole tweet thing, man, it's just got me befuddled. But anyway, maybe you could go ahead <laughs> and uh, talk about that. Sure, yeah. So um, for, for those not familiar with what, what Twitter is, it's a, it's a uh, micro-blogging platform. And the closest analogy I can come to it um, is is like uh, is like a Facebook. So you will type a, a status update, and the whole world can see it. But you're limited to 100 and, uh, 140 characters, so you have to be uh, brief. But that that also has its benefits because then you have to stick to the point. But um, there's there's a couple features that we are going to take advantage of on on Twitter for this um, tweet chat, and one of them is is this uh, concept called hashtags. So if you're if you're writing a, a status update or a um, a tweet as it were on on uh, Twitter and you include a string of characters that begins with the pound sign which which they call the hashtag mm -hmm. um, and that that string of characters then becomes 
a link that you can click on, and you can see all the related posts to that to that subject, whatever is included in that hashtag. So for this tweet chat, we're going to use the um, the hashtag uh, pound uh, drone j chat. And if you click on that link, you should find search results, and that should bring you up to date on the conversation. Um, another way to do it is to just use the search bar on Twitter.com at the top, type in uh, drone j chat, and it should come up with the same results. But uh, using the hashtag system is is pretty efficient for for creating these kinds of uh, uh, get-togethers on Twitter. So generally, we're, we're going to be trying to answer questions about uh, from journalists and, and non-journalists alike about about what is what is drone journalism, how can you use unmanned systems in journalism, um, some very basic questions. But you know, if people ask more complicated questions about kits or advice about how to put one together, we'll also try to accommodate that. What time so is this? Uh, yeah, yeah, what time is it's uh, six six p.m. Uh, Pacific. Uh, I guess six uh, nine nine p.m. Uh, Eastern, and uh, so we'll probably be doing it for an hour. But you can always follow people um, and and uh, direct message and continue the conversation afterwards. That's great. And then also, uh, you know, you can email us here. You can email me at patrick at suasnews.com, and I would be happy to forward all of that on to uh, Matthew if you've got some questions about this and you can't make the hashtag shindig tonight. Um, it does sound good. I may monitor that. We'll have to see what I'm doing. Um, actually, I'm on, I, I do at that time, I'm probably going to be out having a couple of pints of cider. But you never know. I may be monitoring that too. Uh, we'll have to see if we can do the multitasking. Uh, okay. Well, you know that, that, that's a good idea, and I like that. And it sounds like this thing is uh, kind of growing legs. Um, so you know, maybe you can talk a little bit more about uh, what has happened in the last year with drone journalism. Uh, did you? I know when you were, when you, we first talked about this, you were like, yeah, you know, I think I was, what do you think? Yeah, this is great. And uh, you know, people get into this and they're kind of bright-eyed and excited, and they want they want to do things. What what what's this uh, year been like for you, Matthew? Oh well, it's uh, there there have been a number of crashes. I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> it's always a, a learning experience. Um, I'm trying to fix up one right now. I actually have about three unmanned systems in my basement that, that need tending to. But um, so far in the past year, I think we've we've made a lot of progress, and and we had the code of ethics that went up which is really useful. And uh, technically, though, we were able to produce some uh, aerial photo mosaics, which is kind of the precursor to photo mapping. Um, mm -hmm. Photo mapping is a little more com complicated in that you need to uh, correct the photos for, for angles, and um, you have a requirement for overlapping, and you need to geotag. And, and so it's a little bit more complicated, but, but if you can um, make these aerial photo mosaics to the ground, it's it's just really the next step to creating a full-fledged photo map, which you can then use to, uh, to observe change detection on the ground. Um, we also connected with and, and brought several other journalists into the fold. One of them is a documentarian uh, from Canada who did some unmanned work for uh, the Toronto Star. He's got a really nice DJI setup, and I think he's, he's gone a long way. Um, here in America, we have uh, a journalist uh, out in Las Vegas who... Um, works for a major uh, station, but it's the only station in the Las Vegas area does, that does not have a news helicopter. Mm -hmm. So he approached his boss, um, his editor, uh, 
with with this question of should we pursue um, you know unmanned systems, and he got the green light, and so now he's he's out and testing his equipment, and so it may not be long before you see news reports out of Las Vegas these unmanned systems as opposed to uh, manned news helicopters. Um, but the uh, registration is open for for anyone with an interest in this. Um, we keep a running uh, list of, of people who are actively developing systems or who are actively involved in in a writing and sort of developing the ethical background or the historic background of this stuff. But um, but again, going back to um, kind of the broader um, broader expectations of drone journalism and where that's gone in the past year, I, I would have to defer to activists and, and hacktivists and um, even those fellows over in Pennsylvania who got their uh, uh, octocopter shot down because <laughs> um, that's, that's – uh, that's been that's a lot of development right in there, and uh, again, I just have to say that journalists should should look to that for for inspiration. In the meantime, uh, progress just uh, keeps marching along. Hopefully, by next year, we'll have twice or three times as many uh, journalists pursuing this and uh, contributing to the body of work. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I see it going all uh, nowhere but up, but we'll we'll get more into that later. Uh, you know, the 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 journalism, like you're saying with the news helicopter, you know, I mean, uh, for for those that uh, may be unaware, it costs a lot of money to have a news helicopter, and a news helicopter pilot, and the maintenance and the fuel and everything else. It's really expensive. And, uh, you know, as you kind of alluded to earlier, you know, uh, budgets for news gathering have shrunk. Um, mm-hmm. So not everybody's going to have that. Now, it's the same with the police departments and the police use of unmanned aircraft. Not every uh, police department or sheriff's department can afford an air wing. You know, it's it's very pricey. So, uh, you know, these are the type of capabilities that this, this uh, small unmanned technology brings to the table. Um, you know, even the, the the kind of funny the privacy thing, and I don't want to get too far off on track on that. But uh, there was a story: a whistleblower from the NSA came on and said that basically everyone is under virtual surveillance. All of your electronic, uh, let's say, activity is being logged. And you, you know, nobody's up in arms about it. I just don't get it. You know, I missed a boat on that one. I guess uh, maybe I'm, I'm 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 aware of a bigger picture. I don't know. Um, but you know that's another show. Well, you know we'll have to have you back in the future. Most of the guests that come on here, you know, I'd like to have them back. You know, a years time or six months time. But let's talk about some of those ethics and uh, what how important that those are or could be to drone journalists. Yeah, um, I, I think the, the biggest ethical concern that, that a lot of people in, in the general public have is is with general privacy and am I going to be spied on? in my backyard um, doing something, and then is that going to be tabloid fodder? Um, so in, in the code of ethics that we have so far, we gear it so that um, if, if you are a journalist and you're using an unmanned system, um, we try to keep you in public spaces. We're primarily concerned about how, how our public spaces are affected by by individuals. So, for instance, the, the Dallas Meatpacking Plant, perfect example I'm sure that that in that photograph you'll find private land that was a part of the photograph. But the the overarching theme is that it was a public waterway that was being contaminated and that was affecting, you know, the health and the well-being of anyone that was downstream of that river. So that's the kind of thing that we try to train our eyes on and stay away from the, you know, the the, the paparazzi aspect of spying on 
spying on uh, uh, celebrities and this, that, and so forth. But but also, I, I don't think it would be worth a, a drone journalist's time to check up on what the Joneses are doing in their backyard because it, it, there's no there's generally no news value in that. So I, unless, I honestly, I'm not unless they're Kate Middleton, but that's. Uh, um, I was going to say, you know, or you got like. Kim Kardashian's coming over for the barbecue or something. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it'd be worth your time. But, you know, the, the one thing about this, we're talking about the privacy. I mean, where, where's the big backlash of the manned aviation? You know, how come you don't have ACLU going, well, that's it. You know, we're we're grounding all Cessnas because they could carry cameras and get pictures, paparazzi photos, or violate people's privacy. I mean, that happens every day. You don't, you don't hear anybody bellyaching about that. Personally... I think it's a hot topic, and it's a way to get people to make donations. That's me, because uh, it goes on every day. I keep pointing people to go onto YouTube and search for MX15I, and it's the uh, and I'm not just picking on L3. They make a very nice EOIR sensor. You know, watch the video. Look at how many nautical miles to target, and you'll see that you know that people can they can look at your face from uh, several nautical miles away. And these sensors are much better than the sensors that are going to be carried on small unmanned aircraft. Uh, It's really a non-issue. I just think it's kind of, it's just, let's say, issue du jour. Agree, disagree. Well, others in in the uh, drone journalism community that I agree with with the sentiment because um, many would argue that that you can actually violate a person's privacy uh, much more severely with a telephoto lens, a heavy telephoto lens that you exactly. may not be able to carry. And, you know, the unmanned systems have definite uh, limits as to the kind of environment they can operate in. You know, the weather, uh, the wind, precipitation, all these things would affect the ability to, to launch a system um, at, the, at the end of the day. If it's a small system, you're likely not going to have a long-duration flight. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean if, if you're talking about lithium polymer batteries, if, if that's the power source, you might be looking at um, it, you know, conservatively, maybe you know, 10 minutes, depending on the configuration and the capacity of the battery. Um, uh, nitro-powered or, or, or gas-powered um, helicopter systems, they can st- probably stay off for uh, a lot longer time. But most, most of these, most of these um, uh, systems that, that are small are, are not powered by those means. They're, they're typically lithium polymer batteries, and those have a definite lifespan. But... Um, yeah, I, I think – well, another issue that, that's important to the, to the Code of Ethics revolves around safety because that's, that's another big concern. Is this thing going to fall on my head? Mm-hmm. So, so really, we look at safety as, as the most important issue in the Code of Ethics. Are you trained to handle this equipment? Do you know it backwards and forwards? Can you troubleshoot a problem in the air? Um, are, are you in an environment where you could land it safely? Um, I mean, these. I think those those are, are big concerns. But still, at the end of the day, if you compare it to um, other systems, in 2007 there was a horrible collision between two news helicopters over Phoenix, Arizona, that were recording a. Um, a uh, I think it was a, a chase. Yeah, police chase going on. Um, four people died. Two of them were news photographers. The other two were the pilots. Um, that's that's not a situation that you're going to have with a drone. And if a drone does fall out of the sky, it's got a much smaller footprint. It, it, even though its lithium polymer batteries could could catch fire, I don't think you're going to have as big of a problem. So in some respects, I, I think they're safer. And as you get into more 
um, complex systems. I mean, the, the algorithms and the competing technology is getting better every day, along with the sensors, to give it that sensitive away technology. So you're so these also in the future are not going to be making those kind of mistakes. They're going to know where each other are in the airspace, and they're going to avoid it. So safety will become even less of an issue in the future, I think. But uh, it's still an important part of the the code of ethics that drone journals should have to follow, I think. Right. Well, and the other thing, the other thing I want to add to that is, it's the same thing with aerial photographers. You know, people are. It's not a willy-nilly thing. You don't want to lose your equipment. Um, I've seen. I mean, I have seen some people in the RC community where they'll bring something out to the field, and you're like, you're going to fly that, and they'll be like, yeah, well, you know. So I'm good junk. Most people that are, want to use this stuff professionally, their stuff is uh, all squared away, top notch, going to run. Um, and again, I think you alluded to another thing is it's not long distance, uh, you know, like say point to point or airport to airport type of missions. They're short missions, low altitude, close in tight. I mean, you got to be close and in tight if you got shot down with a shotgun, you know. Uh, <laughs> And the thing that kind of bugs me about that is, you know, I don't know what happened to the guy with the shotgun, but, you know, if you're shooting a gun in that close of proximity to people, that would, to me, it suggests that you may not be the safest guy in town. Um, and I may not want to go, you know, upland bird hunting with you. But right. I want to, uh, you know, let's move on to the one, the last question, because we're down here to about three and a half minutes. Like I said in the beginning, it happens quick. Let's just talk about uh, the, the regulatory effect on news reporting. Now, we just had this big slowdown with the test centers. I wrote an article about it. It's on the, uh, on the homepage at susnews.com now. Kind of goes into this a little bit, but what do you think the regulations, how do you think they're going to affect uh, the news reporting from your view? Well, if, um, if you're a member of the Fourth Estate, um, if you're a reporter and you're trying to obtain information, um, anything that gets in the way of that, um, I think, might threaten democracy because we, we run on a democratic system, and that depends on the kind of knowledge that you can obtain from, from news media. So um, I, I think the, the effects would obviously uh, – of, of harsh regulations would be very negative on the field. It would prevent it from proliferating. It would prevent it from becoming a legitimate field as opposed to something that's, that's operating in a, in a gray market. But at the end of the day, their uh, journalists are, are, should attempt to, to serve the public, and that's that's the one of the larger points of drone journalism at .org. We're trying to educate and inform journalists so that they can in turn educate the public. So it's not just the journalists or the news media um, or, or news corporations that that um, that get harmed by the regulations. Ultimately, it's going to be um, the average citizen that misses out on important information. Uh, All right. So. I agree with that, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a, a, a change or an air of uh, idealism there, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a lot of journalists start out idealistic, and 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 um, the media is a brutal place. So some people have that beaten out of them. Uh, not me, just yet. <laughs> well, I agree with that. I, I I totally agree with what you're talking about. Um, I, I think it's it, that that's one of the big. Uh, Let's say the, the goals with the SUS news, you know, some people say, oh, well, you should just beat up on the FAA. But, you know, what? as a journalist, if that's what we're going to do, we have to bring the reality and the facts and the other side of the story uh, to, to the public so they can make their own, you know, read it and make up their own mind and, and decide for them what, 
what they believe and what they don't believe. Um, either that or we live in a totalitarian state where you're being dictated to. So I, I share the idealism there with you. And again, I tell people, you know, I'm an idealist and there's a fine line between idealist and village idiot. But uh, for now, I think I got one foot over there in the idealist column. Uh, we're down to about uh, 40 seconds. I think today's show was pretty informative. Talking about news, talking about the uh, FAA. We did make contact with the public affairs people over there at the FAA. We are going to uh, be able to submit some questions to the UASIO. Um, so if anyone has some questions they would like me to ask the FAA, please email me, Patrick, at suasnews.com. Hopefully I'll get that together for the end of the year, uh, annual end of the year wrap-up. I'd like to thank my guest today, Matthew. Thanks for coming on. Um, I think that was very informative. And Marcus, as always, um, I look forward to seeing you in March. Thanks for all the information. You guys have a good day. Good luck with the drone chat, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you, Patrick. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.